Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Groaning in the Spirit. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Today I'd like to share with you some things from God's Word about intercession and specifically talking about the form of intercession that the Bible calls groaning in the Spirit. And I believe this to be something that is very important. I know that in my own life, which I'll be giving some examples of how God has used this in my life, that this has been something that I've employed and it has made the difference many times in whether I've walked in victory or not. And sad to say, this teaching about groaning in the Spirit is not very well known. There's not a whole bunch of teaching on it. Uh, As a matter of fact, there really isn't that much teaching in the Word of God on it that I'm aware of. But what is there is so powerful that it is definitely something that we need to understand and we need to uh, utilize it in our warfare against the devil. Now, um, as I said, it's hard to verify uh, a lot of teaching about this groaning in the Spirit because that term is really not used very often. It's used mainly in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, and uh, those are the main scriptures that we'll be dealing with. Jesus operated in groaning in the Spirit in John chapter 11, and I'll be referring to those. But groaning in the Spirit is simply one form of intercession, and there are a number of scriptures that deal with the subject of intercession that could all be brought to bear on this. I really haven't got time to teach totally on the subject of intercession, and um, I just would refer people to some of our previous teaching that I've already done on the subject of prayer. Well, I, have, I have tapes entitled Kinds of Prayer 1 and 2 that will talk about the different types of prayer that will include intercession. Also, uh, this tape is intended as a follow-up to the teaching that has been done on Satan's hindrances to prayer, what to do when your prayers seem unanswered. Those truths about prayer need to already be in place and already operating before you get in to this type of intercession called groaning in the Spirit. Also, Paul referred to this same thing of groaning in the Spirit, and I, I believe it's the same thing, listed over in Galatians chapter 4, and verse 19, and there he was talking about travailing in birth. And, of course, this wasn't Paul having a baby. Paul didn't have physical babies. He was a man. This is talking about bringing forth spiritual realities. You can birth things in the spiritual realm. And uh, travailing in the spirit, this birthing that he was talking about, is, I believe, a form of intercession, and it's the same thing that Romans chapter 8 calls groaning in the spirit. Now, just very quickly, I would like to emphasize that intercession is standing on the behalf of another person. Now, there are many different forms of prayer, and there is a time to pray and have a supplication where you just ask for yourself. I guess you could apply that towards somebody else. Uh, There is a prayer of praise. There's a prayer of thanksgiving. There's the prayer of petition, and on and on. But there is a prayer of intercession. And over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said, I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And then going down in verse 8, he says, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And, of course, there's many other scriptures to bring to bear on this, but We are exhorted to pray, and specifically, we are commanded to operate in intercession. That's where we stand on another person's uh, behalf. If you look the word intercession up in the Greek, one of the ways that the word intercession 
are that the original Greek word for intercession is used. It literally means to come between. In other words, a person that stands there on the behalf of another person, in between God and that person. Now, this is important because uh, God does not move contrary to people's will. God is a sovereign God, but God's sovereignty does not mean that he moves independent of us. That is a misapplication of what sovereignty is. And uh, that could be explained a, a lot more, but I have a tape on that entitled The Sovereignty of God that will go into that. Even though God is sovereign, that does not mean that God moves independent of us. God works through people. And a person who is not seeking God is, uh, in a sense, insulating themselves from God. They are not going to have God's miracles operate in their life unless God's invited. The devil pushes. The devil will come in and do everything he can to violate a person's will. But God is not like that. God has to be invited. There has to be faith present. Now, if that person isn't releasing faith themselves, then God needs an intercessor to stand there and release faith for them. And God will flow through that intercessor towards that person. And that's a subject that could be dealt with much, much more. Uh, That's not really the point that I'm trying to make. I'm just establishing that intercession is standing on the behalf of another person, and it's a thing that God uses. God uses intercessors, and so this is very important. Now, uh, as I said, much teaching could be done on the subject of intercession. I believe that praying in tongues, when you are uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit begins to start praying through you, actually it's the Holy Spirit giving utterance to your spirit, and your spirit begins to pray. The Bible says that when you do that, you are praying the perfect will of God. You are praying from your spirit, and you're using the spiritual wisdom and knowledge that was placed within you at the new birth. Now, that's a very high form of intercession, and it's important. But I believe that groaning in the Spirit goes even beyond that, and we'll be dealing with that in just a moment. There's many ways that you can intercede, but groaning in the Spirit, and this is just my uh, opinion. It's the only opinion that I've got. But out of everything that I've experienced in the Word of God, I've learned that groaning in the Spirit is probably the highest form of intercession that I'm aware of, the highest way of breaking through and doing spiritual battle. And uh, as I said, it's something that's even uh, beyond praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. Let's look at this over in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Now, really, to get the full benefit, it ought to be taken totally in context, uh, but uh, we hadn't got time to go back and study the entire book of Romans and bring you up to uh, date. But he's simply talking about the travail, the problems that are in the earth because of sin, and saying that even the entire creation, all the animal creation, and not only the animal, but the plant life, the earth, everything to do with this creation is groaning and travailing. Now, this is one reason that I believe that when Paul talked about over there in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, about that he was travailing in uh, birth until Christ could be formed in these people. In other words, until they could begin to start reflecting Christ and growing up maturing in him. I believe that's one reason that Paul was talking about this groaning in the Spirit because the verses just prior to where Paul talked about groaning in the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, he's talking about that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. He's using those terms interchangeably. And I believe that that's exactly what he did in uh, Galatians 4.19 when he was talking about travailing it's the same thing as groaning so the whole creation is groaning and travailing and then in verse 26 it says for uh, likewise 
the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, a little bit of background before we get right into this. The purpose for groaning in the Spirit, this form of intercession, is the Spirit helping our infirmities. The word infirmity here does not mean sickness. Now, if you would look infirmity up in a dictionary, the word infirmity definitely can mean sickness, but it also can mean any lack or inadequacy. And in this instance, he explains what the infirmity is. There's a, there's a colon after the word infirmities, and then it begins to explain, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Not having total knowledge of how to pray is an infirmity. And that's what this is saying. And the gift uh, or the action of the Holy Spirit making intercession uh, for us with groanings that cannot be uttered is specifically to help us when we don't know exactly how to pray about a situation. Now, as I said prior to this, uh, this teaching actually is a follow-up to a teaching that I've already given uh, on what to do when your prayers seem unanswered. One of the things that we've established there is that God always answers our prayer when we pray for something that is God's will, which is something based on God's Word. And if we pray in faith, God answers our prayer. But that prayer comes in spiritual form. And whether we ever see the physical manifestation of what we prayed for is not an indication of whether God answered our prayer or not, but rather it's an indication of whether Satan fought against it and whether we were able to prevail, whether we knew how to bring what God had already given us into physical manifestation. It is true that God answers many prayers that we never see the answer to them simply because Satan is able to bottle those answers up and keep them from ever getting in to the physical realm. There is a part that we play in prayer. It's not just us throwing our prayer out and then God answers it and manifests it independent of us. He flows through us. He does not work without us. He flows through us. And if Satan can get us into doubt and into fear and keep us from believing that God has answered our prayer, and if he can keep us ignorant of how God uses us many times to manifest these answers to prayer, if he can block those things, then he can stop the answer from manifesting even though God has commanded and given it. Now, I've already used his examples in a previous teaching, this tape entitled, What to Do When Your Prayers Seem Unanswered. I've already used Daniel as an example. And Daniel prayed a prayer in the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel. God answered his prayer instantly, but it took 21 days for his answer to prayer to manifest to where Daniel could tell anything that was happening. But when the... Uh, answer came into manifestation when this supernatural messenger came and told Daniel the answer to his prayer. He said that from the very first day that Daniel began to pray, God had sent him and commanded him to come, but Satan had been, with him, uh, been withholding the answer for 21 days. It wasn't God who had been doing nothing. God was very active. There was tremendous amount of things going on in the spiritual realm, but Satan had fought against it for 21 days. So Satan was the one that hindered it. The point that I'm making is God answered his prayer a long time before it was manifest because Satan hindered that prayer. And it's possible if Daniel would have quit believing and have got out of faith and got into depression and self-pity, etc., that even though God answered the prayer, that prayer from our standpoint would have never been answered. It never would have been manifest in a way that we could have seen that God answered it. 
And I'm convinced that that happens many times. God does answer prayer, but because there's a time element involved, because Satan is fighting us over that thing, Satan is able to discourage us. We fall into unbelief, and that stops God's manifestation of this answer. So we've already, on another tape, dealt with what are Satan's hindrances to prayer. That's the title of another tape that I have, and we've explained what many of Satan's hindrances to prayer are. And I encourage anybody that's not heard that to get it. All right, but if you understand the principles that we've already established, if you know that when you prayed God, it's God's will for you to have it, and you are believing that God has released the power. You don't doubt that, and yet you still haven't seen your manifestation. So you know Satan is the hindrance, but you've done everything that you know to do. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, Daniel, in the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel, he just continued to fast and pray and refused to back up. He just stood there for 21 days. Now, there may be instances where that's all you know how to do, and so you just do it. There are some people that have just stood and have hung on and hung on, and uh, they may see their prayers answered. They just are so stubborn, it's like a dog with a bone. They grab hold of it, and you can grab the bone, pull it, drag the dog through the mud, hit them up against the fence, do anything, and they just aren't going to let go, and eventually they'll win. Well, there's some Christians that that's the way they receive. I mean, the devil fights them. He kicks them. They have to fight off discouragement. They go through problems, travail, financial problems, sickness, disease, whatever, but they just refuse to let go. Eventually, they win kind of by default. And I'm not uh, saying that that's wrong. Any way that you win is good, praise God. But I'm saying for the New Testament believer, there's a better way. God can give us words of wisdom and knowledge and show us where the problem is, and we can deal with that. And I've already given examples of that on previous teachings on this subject. But there are instances, because none of us are complete in the Lord, because none of us are totally mature yet, because we're all still growing in knowledge of the Lord. There are instances where you have done everything that you know how to do, and you still haven't seen any manifestation. Now, I'm not saying it has to be that way, but I'm saying that's because we don't know everything there is to know. If we had the total wisdom of God, I believe that we could operate and see miracles happen. And I also want to preface what I'm saying here by saying that this intercession, this groaning in the Spirit and having the Spirit make an intercession for us is not a substitute for knowing the Word of God and knowing exactly where the problems are and dealing with it. I believe if, you're, if you can deal with something by the Word of God, then that is the best thing to do. And an example of what I'm talking about is if a person is praying for healing and they've confessed the Word, they know that it's God's will to heal them, they've prayed and they're believing the best they know and yet they aren't seeing any benefit, the first thing you ought to do is go and pray and say, God, I know you're faithful, I know your Word promises healing, and yet I've prayed, I am not backing up, I know you've given it and yet I haven't seen it. Where's the problem? How is Satan hindering me? And if the Lord was to quicken to you that you've got strife in your life, like, for instance, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says that a man who isn't recognizing that his wife is a weaker vessel and giving the proper respect and honor unto her, and you could put that together with James chapter 3, verse 16, where envy and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. If that is the root cause of why Satan is hindering your prayer, you aren't going to prosper if you just say, well, I'm going to go into intercession and let the Holy Ghost make groanings through me, uh, make intercession through me with groanings that cannot be uttered, and then you just continue and persist in your broken relationship in the home. That won't work. I mean, if you have knowledge that you're in strife with your mate, 
If you aren't rendering due benevolence unto your wife, if you're operating in bitterness and unforgiveness, etc., you cannot bypass that by simply operating and groaning in the Spirit and see things come to pass. That is not so. If you have knowledge of something in your life that you are letting Satan directly hinder you through, you must deal with that area. All right? And so if you know what to do, if you have knowledge of something and you know what to do, do it. There is no substitute for doing what the Word of God says to do if you have knowledge of it. But none of us know everything perfectly. If we did, I don't believe that we'd need any intercession uh, groaning in the Spirit. But the Scripture here in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, that the, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, which is specifically not knowing what to pray for as we ought. When you get into a situation where you've exhausted everything that you know from God's Word, you've searched your heart, you can't see any way that you're giving place to Satan, and yet it's very evident that Satan is still fighting against you, what do you do? Well, praise God that the Lord has given us kind of a safety valve, something that is a cure-all. When we don't know what to do, when we don't know how to pray as we ought, then is when the Holy Spirit comes and makes intercession through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And again, I stress that this is not a substitute for doing what the Word says and what you know to do. This is simply something that when you've exhausted all other means, this is something that you need to operate in, and it will help you when you've already done everything you know and it simply wasn't enough. And I tell you, this is a super powerful form of intercession. Now, I would like to say that Jesus operated in this groaning in the Spirit that this is talking about. And you can find that over in the 11th chapter of the book of John. This is where Jesus was called by Mary and Martha to come and minister unto their brother Lazarus. And Jesus went, and when he got there, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. And Jesus began to tell them, that uh, if they would simply believe in him, that he was the resurrection and the life, and that Lazarus would live again. And so they begin to bring Jesus, or, or Mary was talking to Jesus. And it says in verse 33, this is John chapter 11, verse 33. It says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now this is the exact same terminology that is used over in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. He groaned in the Spirit. Now, there is no indication that there was any physical um, sound made with this. It was a groaning that was inside. Uh, I believe with all of my heart that this basically is what we today would kind of call that we were, you know, well, it even goes on and says this, that he was troubled. It's just simply being troubled, grieved on the inside. Now, you may make some outward manifestation, like there may be a groan, there may be some kind of word that you say or something, but it's not that physical groan or what you say that is really the, this groaning in the spirit. Rather, it was an emotion in the spiritual realm, not even a physical emotion, not a, a soulish emotion, but a, a groaning in the spirit. The Bible shows us in Ephesians chapter 5 that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God which we are sealed with. We, the Spirit within us gets grieved when it sees uh, sin, when it sees Satan oppressing. I, I know that I've experienced this, and many of you have, that you see somebody that, say, for instance, Satan has just destroyed their body. They're crippled. They're paraplegic. A little child that has... Uh, 
deformities and, and all of these kind of things. And inside, you're just grieved in your spirit. Uh, I believe that that is a godly thing. God's not pleased with that. God hates the works of the devil. We shouldn't get to where we just feel complacent about those kind of things. I believe that that's a groaning in the spirit. It grieves the spirit of God. And Jesus, in this instance, where he was coming to raise Lazarus from the dead, when he saw the tragedy, when he saw Mary and Martha weeping and all the people with him, and he saw the terrible effects of death, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. I don't believe he groaned because he was afraid because of any of these things. It was just simply out of compassion. He saw what Satan's works, what death had done, and uh, he was grieved with the situation. And it goes on to say, further on down here in the same chapter, verse 38, Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. See, he was groaning in himself. There may have been some physical uh, manifestation, but that was not the important thing. The real thing was he groaned. He was grieved in himself. He was troubled in himself. And then, as he began to start talking unto the Father, he says in verse 41, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Now, the Bible doesn't record Jesus as praying. And yet Jesus is talking about that he had heard me. Well, Jesus could have been praying on his way to Bethany or a lot of different places. But also, putting this in context with Romans chapter 8, I believe that these groans, this travail that was going on on the inside of him, it was intercession. It is prayer. And, of course, Jesus was aware of that. And I believe that that's what he was referring to. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And so even Jesus operated in groaning in the Spirit. Now, why? Again, back to Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. The specific purpose of groaning in the Spirit is to help you when you don't know how to pray, when it's beyond your natural ability. Well, now, Jesus, somebody might say, why did he groan in the Spirit then? He certainly didn't have any limitations. Well, Jesus didn't have any sin, and Jesus was sinless. But he took upon himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself. God had to humble himself to take upon this physical body. Now, in the spirit realm, Jesus was God. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, is what it says in 1 Timothy 3.16. Jesus was God. There was no limitations, inadequacies, lacks, anything in his spirit man. But in the physical realm, there was no sin, but there were limitations. There were limitations in the sense that he limited himself to that physical body. He didn't just come and go. Before that time, Jesus existed in the form of God, and he was omnipresent. That means he was everywhere at all of the time. But when he uh, became a man, when he took upon himself flesh, he limited himself to operating inside that physical body that he lived in. That, that was a limitation upon him. It was not a limitation that somebody else imposed. It was something that he did. He humbled himself, is what it says in Philippians chapter 2. But nonetheless, it was a limitation. And one of the limitations that he had in that physical body was that even though he did not have sin in it that had corrupted his thinking, his thinking, his human side, the physical brain part up here, simply was not able to wrap its mind around raising somebody from the dead, somebody who had already started to deteriorate. Their organs and things like this were actually turning back to dust. It was not just a healing. It was a creative miracle. Now, that's beyond human ability. And so in that sense, there was a lack. There was an inadequacy or an infirmity in Jesus, and he needed to go beyond what his physical mind, even a sinless, pure, holy, physical mind, could comprehend. 
and he needed to be in the spirit realm. He needed to be totally operating in the supernatural realm of God to see this miracle of resurrection from the dead. And so he was groaning in the spirit. That was the spirit travailing over this situation. He began to draw on that God part on the inside of him, and the Holy Spirit worked with him. The Holy Spirit helped him. He was groaning in the spirit, and it helped him overcome these inadequacies. I mean, nobody, even Adam and Eve, they weren't created within the natural realm the ability to believe for the resurrection of the dead. They didn't need it. It was, it was not uh, needed until sin had corrupted things and until death began to rule. Jesus just needed to go beyond that physical body. When Jesus looked up into the tree and saw Zacchaeus up there, uh, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. Well, that was Jesus going beyond his physical brain. Even a sinless, pure mind that had not been corrupted by sin could not see a person that he had never seen before and call out his name. That wasn't his mind that did that. That was his spirit man that did that. It was a gift of the spirit that was operating. Jesus operated in the supernatural realm, and this is just simply an instance where the Holy Spirit helped him to totally bypass any limitations that might be there in the physical realm and, and draw on that God part of him. Well, now, we need this continually, and especially when we run up against a situation where we've done everything that we know to do and we still haven't seen the mountain move. We don't disbelieve that it's God's will, and we're operating in faith the best we know, but there must be some hindrance. There must be something that Satan is using to hinder that prayer that's beyond our capacity to understand. And so we begin to draw on this groaning in the Spirit that is referred to here in Romans chapter 8. Notice also in verse 26 it says that it was groanings which cannot be uttered. Now I've heard some people say, well... This doesn't mean that they can't be uttered. It just simply means that they can't be uttered in articulate speech. In other words, in a known language. And they refer to this as praying in tongues. And they use these scriptures to talk about praying in tongues. I do believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I have it. I do believe in the gift of praying in tongues. I have it. I do believe in Jude, verse 20, where it says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, which is talking about praying in tongues, and that it builds you up. I believe in that. I do it. I subscribe to that. But in this instance, it says that it's groanings which cannot be uttered, and I believe that it means just exactly what it says. And if you put this together with the example we just gave of Jesus in John, the 11th chapter, it wasn't uttered in that case. This wasn't Jesus praying in tongues. It was simply a groaning, a grieving, being troubled way down inside of him in his spiritual man. And I believe that that's just exactly what this is talking about. There's no reason to believe that this is speaking of tongues. Not that I'm putting down speaking in tongues, but I believe that this is something different. Also, uh, this is not something I'd base a doctrine on, but it is something that's interesting, and I believe we'd go along with it and verify it. If you'll go back in church traditions and church history, you'll find that to some degree or another, there's always been some knowledge about this. Like, for instance, back in the early 1900s, the Pentecostals had a doctrine that they called uh, praying through, where they would travail and they would pray, and they would go through, I mean, earnest intercession to where uh, they would be grieved and all kinds of outward manifestations and emotions went along with this, and they would continue to pray until finally they just felt like they broke through some type of barrier. They called it praying through, and all of a sudden peace and, and joy and faith would rise on the inside of them, and they knew that they knew that they knew that they had their answer. And there was an entire doctrine formed about praying through. Now, 
praying through isn't found in the Scripture, but I believe that it is the same thing that this is talking about, groaning in the Spirit. They got into a form of intercession where the Holy Spirit began to intercede through them. And, and where that went wrong was they began to start putting the emphasis on the physical manifestations. There are some people that actually, I mean, grabbed themselves in the middle and because they were so intent in this prayer. And they made the mistake of coming back, and when they told about how that they saw a miracle come to pass through that, they'd come back and tell other people, say, well, if you want it, then what you got to do is grab yourself in the middle, and you got to groan, and you got to travail. Well, grabbing themselves, and their groaning, and their travailing wasn't what did it. It was the intercession of the Spirit, and they got caught up into putting the emphasis on the form, that you got to get down this way and do it that way, and that's where they made their mistake. That does not mean that there wasn't a truth in it. For instance, I, again, you know, going back to receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, uh, one of the Pentecostal doctrines that was so prevalent back 50 years or more was that uh, they taught on tarrying for the Holy Ghost and that you had to go through travail. And some of them waited 20 years, which I do not believe is the way that the Scripture teaches it. It's a very simple matter of just simply believing and receiving the Holy Ghost. You don't have to wait. If you had to tarry, as Jesus told his disciples, tarry, you know, in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power, if you're going to fulfill that Scripture, then you'd have to go to Jerusalem to tarry because that's what he told them. That's, they were in a different situation. The Holy Ghost hadn't come yet. The Holy Ghost has come today, and we can simply receive. But I actually heard an experience of a man who had been seeking the Holy Ghost for a long period of time, and finally one day he was so desperate he went down to the church building, and he was praying, and finally got up kind of, I think it was in an attic or in a balcony or something upstairs, and he was praying on his hands and knees and kind of scooting around, and finally he got up inside of a cardboard box, and he was just so desperate. He was crying out to God, and he asked God for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I mean, boy, it hit him. He started praying in tongues, and I mean, he just felt like he had the power of God. He got so excited, he went out and grabbed one of his friends that had also been believing to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and he says, I got it. And as he is telling him about it, his friend says, well, I want it. And he says, well, I know exactly how to get it. And so he brought the man to the church and says, just stick your head in this box, and if you'll pray inside of this box, you'll get it. Well, now, see, he may have gotten it that way, but it wasn't the fact he was in that box. I mean, the Holy Ghost isn't in that box, and everybody that sticks their head in a cardboard box is going to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's not true. That's not accurate. That's the way that he received it. But see, that's putting the emphasis on what your circumstances were when you received it. It, it doesn't happen that way to everybody else. I didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with my head in a box. But see, I believe that the same thing, because this is such an intense form of intercession, and because there usually is some type of physical manifestation... I think sometimes people have gotten so caught up into the emphasis on, on, on the form of what happened to them physically that they've emphasized that and they've had people mimic the form and go through it and experience frustration because they didn't have anything and they've missed it. They're, they're seeking an experience rather than, they, rather than they're seeking the uh, intercession of the Holy Ghost coming through them. That's what we need to be seeking is this godly uh, instance of the Holy Ghost interceding through us and not somebody else's manifestation that they had when it happened to them. That intercession is a godly thing and specifically groaning in the Spirit is a form of intercession listed here in Romans chapter 8 and also Jesus used it and Paul used it, spoke of it in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. Now the way that God began to explain this to me was that uh, I had had it happen to me before, and I simply didn't realize what was going on. I just would get 
so grieved over a situation where I knew Satan was ripping me off and I didn't know what to do that I'd just go into prayer and I'd experienced very intense prayer where I mean it was beyond me simply praying and asking God for something. It was literally the spiritual man, the born again man on the inside of me getting to where I was in the spirit and, and praying so intently that things would happen. And yet I, I wasn't really aware of what was going on until I had a specific uh, experience. And I want to share that with you. I believe it will illustrate this very well. But I had a need. My wife and I needed our bills paid, uh, our rent, groceries, some uh, utilities and things like this. I would prayed about it, and and we had an old uh, 64 Chevrolet that we were trying to sell. And the Lord told me that that was going to be the way he was going to supply our needs. Now, this was back in 1972, I guess it was, and I was living in Seagoville, Texas. And so I put an ad in the paper, Dallas Morning News and, and Dallas Times Herald, and began to advertise this car for sale. Well, a lot of people came and looked at it, but this car was really in bad shape. I mean, when it rained, it would rain inside just like it was outside. It leaked all over. When you turned the heater on, it would pump water out on the passenger's feet. When you ran down the road, the ball joints were so bad people could hear you coming for a mile down the road. The thing would vibrate so bad because the U-joints were going out that the keys actually rattled out of the ignition a few times. Uh, It burned a quarter oil every 50 miles, um, and on and on I could go. I mean, the windshield wipers didn't work. It was just a wreck, and yet it was a very popular model of car. So anyway, we started out asking $350 for this car. People came and looked at it, but nobody wanted it. And so about three or four weeks after we had started advertising this car, we still had not sold this car, and we were getting in a situation where, I mean, we really needed some help. We needed it desperately. And so I, I was uh, concerned about what to do, and I finally just decided that one day this wasn't God. I knew that it was God's will to meet that need, and so I went down and locked myself in the church building in Seagville that I was pastoring that church, and I just began to pray. And when I pray, I walk and pray. And I mean, I got angry at the devil. I got mad. I knew it was the devil stealing from me. My wife was getting discouraged, about ready to give up. I was fighting discouragement. And finally, I got down there, and I mean, I just got to letting the devil have it, rebuking the devil, binding him off of our finances, and started to intercede for that car to be sold. And as I did, I prayed for like an hour and 45 minutes. Most of that was praying in tongues, walking back and forth, just praying and binding the devil. And I mean, the presence of God got so strong on me. I knew that, man, uh, I was praying and it was the Holy Ghost that was inspiring it. It was something that was important to me. That as I was praying, I got to where I couldn't stand up. I mean, the power of God got me to where I was nearly drunk and I couldn't walk properly. And I actually tripped over a chair, nearly fell on my face on the floor. So I finally decided, well, I'm instead of falling and hurting myself, I'll just lay down. There was one little spot in an office that had carpet on it, and I decided I'd just lay down on this carpet and pray. And as I did, and I started praying, I mean, I experienced uh, the Holy Spirit making intercession through me with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's the best way that I can describe it. Just way down deep inside of me, I was so grieved over this situation, and the Spirit inside of me began to start dominating me. I mean, I had pushed into a realm where I was actually in the Spirit, and the Spirit, I could, I, could exp- I could discern. My Spirit within me grieved at the way Satan had oppressed me, and that Spirit began to rise up, and there was just a grieving going on, and then an anger, and I actually began to do battle with spiritual forces that were fighting me financially. 
there was physical manifestation that went along with it. I mean, I, if you would have been looking at me, I was just laying there on the floor. And I was still praying in tongues, is what I was saying with my, with my mouth. But on the inside, I mean, there was such a struggle in the spiritual realm. It wasn't physical. I wasn't rolling around on the floor fighting, hitting, or doing anything. But inside, there was a terrible struggle going on, like I was fighting for my life. And it was so intense. I had such an emotion that went along with it that I knew something was happening. Now, I need to stop right here and qualify this by saying, that I've never had it happen exactly that way since. And I personally believe the reason that I had such an overwhelming emotional thing where I sensed the presence of God was because God was trying to show me something. He was trying to teach me, number one, and also he was trying to get me to realize something was happening so I would release my faith and expect an answer. Uh, After I've learned this, I've never had it happen that way since. And the reason I say this is so that you won't make a doctrine out of it and and go out and say, well, if I groan in the Spirit, I'm going to have to lay down on the floor or I'm going to have to experience the presence of God so strong that I couldn't walk back and forth and pray. I'd have to be so woozy that I'd have to lay down. No, that doesn't have to be that way. It hasn't happened to me that way since. And so don't make a doctrine out of my emotion. I'm just simply sharing this. This is the way it happened to me, and I believe God did it to get my attention, to teach me something, and to help me to expect an answer. So anyway, I was in intercession, and I was praying like this, and I continued on that way for like 40, 45 minutes. And all of a sudden, I mean this struggle, this travail that was going on on the inside, I mean left, and there was just such a peace. It was just like it was over. Whatever had gone on was over. I knew it was over. Again, I liken this under the exact same thing that the Pentecostals used to call praying through. I broke through. Whatever that struggle was, whatever the problem was that I was dealing with, I knew it was over with, and I just began to rejoice and praise God. There was a peace. There was a total release. I got up and praised God for quite a while, and then I headed home to tell my wife that whatever the problem was with that car selling was over with and that God had just settled it and we were going to see that car sold. Before I could get out of the car and come tell her, she came out to meet me and said that a man had just called. He had seen my car parked at the church with the sign on the back window and that he was coming up there. He would be at the church in five minutes, and I had to turn right around and go back to meet him. He wanted to buy the car. So I didn't even get to tell her this. I mean, the man had called while I was up there praying. So I went back up, and anyway, to make this long story short, I tried to, uh, you know, make sure that this man wanted it. I, he, he just wanted to give me the money right out. And I said, no, drive the car around. I told him everything that was wrong. And finally, he just said, can I please have the car? And so I said, yes. I took his money and praise God, the Lord met our needs. Now, the interesting thing about this was that a- after I'd taken his money, I was talking to him and he said, you know, four weeks ago when I first saw this car was for sale, a little sign on the back window, he said, I told my wife I was going to buy that car. The man was a mechanic. He didn't want to drive it. He just simply needed the car for parts. And he told his wife, and his wife said, there's no way you're going to buy that car. says, we got a number of junk cars around here now, and you aren't about to spend your money on another junk car. And so he and his wife had been in strife over this thing for three and a half weeks. And that very day when I was praying and interceding and had gotten into this groaning in the spirit, that very day this man was sitting there, it was a Saturday, and he was watching television. He hadn't even mentioned it to his wife that day. His wife was doing something else. Finally, she walked into the room where he was and she said, all right, go buy that car. And she entered into agreement with him and he came straight from his home right up there and bought that car. Now, see, I was dealing with 
uh, Satan was hindering my answer to prayer, not necessarily through anything that Jamie and I were doing, but rather through this man's wife. This man and his wife were in strife, and Satan was using that to hinder my prayers. When I got into prayer and really interceded over it, and the Holy Spirit helped me, I didn't know what to pray for as all. There was no way that I could have known the name of this man. I'd never met him before. There's no way I could have known what the situation was. I didn't know that it was because of strife between him and his wife. There was things here that were physically beyond my human ability to understand. And unless I would have gotten over into this groaning in the Spirit and allowed the Holy Spirit to bypass my limitations, then I probably never would have seen that car manifest, or it might have been a long ways down the road. But through groaning in the Spirit, see, I was able to deal with those situations, and I was able to see it come to pass. It was miraculous. And I began to realize that there was power in that form of intercession. Now, that may not be something that you do every day, because, again, I stress that you're supposed to act on what you know. And uh, I don't do that every day. Maybe I should. I'm still learning a lot about this, but I'm just saying that personally speaking, this is not something that you do every day, but it's something that you do when you, all else seems to have failed. And, man, you just need to go beyond what you even know in the Word and beyond praying in tongues and things like this, and you need some help. Groaning in the Spirit will work. When I was pastoring another church in Pritchett, Colorado, this was a group of farmers there. When I first moved to Colorado, they were in one of the worst droughts that they had ever experienced. And I mean, the farmers were in trouble. They needed some help. There was a reservoir not far from Pritchett where I lived. It was supposed to be a huge reservoir. We saw it on the map. And I took my family out there. We were expecting to see this big lake. And we drove across a dam. And I mean, it was, you know, a, a huge dam. And yet there wasn't any water in the lake at all. There was just a little trickle running through it. And it was the Arkansas River. And I mean, it was even down. It was pitiful. And so we as a church began to pray and believe God to uh, bring us rain. And we interceded over it. Well, every day the clouds would come and maybe we'd get a sprinkle here or a sprinkle there. We could tell that our prayers were effective. I mean, before that, it was just hot and dry. At least we were getting clouds. There was moisture in them. There was a little bit of moisture, but it wasn't answering our prayers. We could tell that there, there was a warfare going on. Our prayers were working, and yet they weren't working, not the way that we wanted them to. And finally, after doing this for months, I had a man come to me, one of my good friends, and he said, he said, Andy, he said, I've gone as far as I can go. Either I'm going to have to harvest my crop next week and take a tremendous loss on it, or we've got to have some rain so that these crops can revive. He says, it cannot go another two weeks, another two or three days is all we've got. And when he shared that with me, see, we'd already prayed. We'd done everything that we knew how to do. But when you're praying over the weather, it's a complicated situation. And I haven't got time to go into all of it, but the Bible in the Old Testament shows that the weather was affected by the sins of the land. The rebellion of people and things like this directly affect the crops. It affects the rain. It affects a lot of things. And the Old Testament has many examples of that. So it wasn't just a matter of me praying. It was the sins of the entire region that was entering into this. I mean, we were doing spiritual battle with demonic powers that had rights to be there because the place was so wicked and people had given themselves over to it. It was not an easy battle. And so finally I told this man, I said, look, I know something that'll work. I said, we can groan in the spirit over this and I don't care what the obstacle is. We can overcome that and we can see this come to pass. And so we entered into agreement. Now, I was so busy with the affairs of the church and things 
that it took me quite a while to get myself into a position where I could allow the Holy Ghost to make intercession through me with groan as it cannot be uttered. I do not believe you have to go through some type of ritual. I don't believe it has to take five hours, ten hours, two days to get into a place of groaning in the Spirit. But I do believe that you have to be able to set aside everything else. And I mean, you've got to really be sincere and push into the real spiritual realm to, before you can experience this. And in some instances where I've really been seeking the Lord and praying about something or, you know, different situations, it can happen just nearly instantly. At other times, if I've been really occupied, it may take me a while to shut down my senses and my flesh and get back into the spiritual realm the way that I need to be. In this instance I'm talking about, I spent all day Saturday just praying and seeking the Lord, fasting and focusing my attention on the Lord. By Saturday night, I was beginning to really, uh, you know, get into a place where I could... I had built myself up praying in the Holy Ghost, as it says in Jude, verse 20. I could tell my faith was working, and I was beginning to make some headway. But it was the next morning, when I woke up on a Sunday morning, that I began to really intercede. I looked out, and this time, instead of the clouds coming in in the afternoon, I mean there were just thick, dark-looking clouds all over the place on Sunday morning. But we didn't pray for clouds, we prayed for rain. And I wasn't about to let these clouds get away without something coming out of them, so I went down to the church building... And I began to intercede. And I began to operate in this groaning in the Spirit again. And as I did, it started to rain. And it rained for the next two or three days. Not a hard rain, but a soft, gentle rain that was exactly what the farmers needed. It saved their crops. And praise God, some good things happened. Now, that was not my own. I was not the only one praying. There was a number of people that were doing this. But it was this groaning in the Spirit that broke through those hindrances. And this is exactly what we're supposed to do. We can enter into a place where that happens. Once again, I want to qualify this by saying that every time I've used this groaning in the Spirit, I have seen results, uh, the answer to my prayer, within 24 to 48 hours. I mean, it is a powerful form of intercession with one exception. And there was one time that I prayed and interceded for a very good friend of mine who was finding some things, and he died. Even though I was, I mean, operating in the intercession, I was groaning in the Spirit, I used everything I knew, and he died. And it's a long story, I haven't got time to explain it. But I believe that the reason is, is because he had abused his body, he came off of a 47-day fast, and just thought, well, he was so supernatural, he didn't need to acknowledge physical laws, and he ate steak and french fried potatoes the second day after a 47-day fast, which... Uh, is not the way you do it. You're supposed to go at least 40 days before you're eating normal again. And he just violated those things. I wasn't aware that he had done that. And I was interceding over all of the problems in his body. And I believe that he just simply uh, destroyed himself by the way that he had treated his body. And and, uh, it was kind of a rebellion on his part. I don't believe it was intended to be that way. But nonetheless, you just don't abuse your body like that without asking forgiveness and, and receiving a supernatural miracle. He just killed himself with the way he did it. So I don't believe that this is a something that will work in spite of what you know to do and if you just violate it. But it's something that when you've done everything you know to do and you still haven't seen results, you add it to it. And there is tremendous results that comes out of it. It's a powerful form of intercession. And again, I want to say that don't put the emphasis on the manifestation that goes along with it. I had a friend of mine that I heard teach on this one time, and he actually got down on his hands and knees and showed people how to groan in the Spirit. All he was doing was showing them how he did it. 
because again, I refer back to Romans chapter 8. It says that it's groanings which cannot be uttered. I don't believe that there is any physical manifestation that is the actual groaning in the Spirit. It may be your reaction to it. And like I said, it's such an intense thing that I don't doubt that there will be some reaction. But it, your reaction doesn't have to be my reaction or somebody else's. So therefore, I'm trying to steer away from teaching that you have to wail and travail. Again, the Pentecostals, see, got caught up into this to where when people felt like they were groaning in the Spirit, or they would call it, you know, uh, interceding, praying through, they would have to travail, they'd have to scream, they'd have to moan, and all kinds of weird things that offend people, that turn them off, and that's not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost doesn't uh, wail and travail. You may, and there's nothing wrong with it, if you understand that it's not the Holy Ghost making you do it, and if you don't go out and teach other people and tell them they got to do it the way you did it. I'm saying there could be different manifestations, but... The groaning in the spirit is simply something that's done inwardly. And you can control that physical man. The Bible says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I believe that there is an abuse of this. There are some people that have seen this, and I've been around some people who are intercessors, which I believe in the subject of intercession, but they've misused this. And I've been around some people, and I mean just get weird with this. There are, there are people today that I've heard of. I've not seen this, but I've heard that there's people, uh, women especially, that will actually lay on top of a man or on top of somebody else and go through the actions of having a child. And they're basing it on what Paul said in Galatians 4, 19 about travailing in birth until Christ be formed within you. And they go through the motions and the physical pain and actions of having a child and thinking that they're bringing forth some spiritual thing. Well, I want you to know that that is not godly. God does not want any woman laying on top of a man and acting like she had a child. I don't care who that is, how important they are, who they say they are. That is not God, and that is not a godly way of travailing in the Spirit. You do not have to do that. You can control those things. If something comes on you that you can't control, and if you have to start wailing and travailing, then you ought to get it cast out of you. Now, if there is something going on on the inside of you and you simply respond to it with a physical manifestation, I don't personally groan and wail and travail outwardly, but I'm saying I couldn't criticize somebody who did if they understand that that's just them responding to what goes on. Now, I physically have because I've discerned this groaning in the Spirit going on on the inside. I mean, there have been some times that I have uh, physically groaned just very slightly but I remember one time I was in a meeting sitting next to Vanetta Copeland, who's Kenneth Copeland's mother. I was sitting next to her, and I didn't know who she was at the time. But, I mean, the service was bound up. Some things were wrong. And I, it was a good friend of mine who was preaching. And, I mean, I was grieved over the situation. And I started praying. And before I knew it, I mean, the Holy Ghost was making intercession through me for that man and for this ministry. And I began to physically groan. Not very loud, but loud enough that Vanetta Copeland next to me heard it. When the service was over, she reached over and grabbed me, and she says, I want you to know I was groaning in the Spirit and interceding with you. So what I'm saying is, yes, there sometimes is a physical manifestation, but I could have controlled that if I'd have wanted to control it. I just simply didn't want to, and it was not obnoxious to anybody. Uh, I'm saying that we get so caught up into all of the manifestations and different things. That's not important. What's important is the intercession of the Holy Spirit. And I, I have sat in services before and I've noticed that it was this very intense intercession going on in my spirit. Man, I mean just a groan and a travail, a grief. I was troubled over the things I was seeing and experiencing. 
I have had that happen to me, and there has been no physical manifestation, no outward sign. Nobody would have been able to know what was going on, and yet I believe I was interceding in the Spirit. So the point that I'm making is you need to acknowledge that there is uh, intercession that we do, and God honors that. There's an intercession that we do out of the soulless realm with our own mind, and God will honor that. There's an intercession that we can do praying in tongues when we're building up ourselves on our most holy faith, praying the perfect wisdom of God, and God will honor that. But there is an intercession that we can do where we get into this travail, doing battle. I mean literally groaning in our spirit. That also is intercession. You need to acknowledge it. If you're in a situation where you simply have exhausted everything that you know, you've prayed, you've got the prayer of agreement, you've acted on everything that you know, you've asked for wisdom and you haven't been able to pinpoint it, then you need to be aware of groaning in the Spirit and you need to settle yourself before God. Depending on where you are and how oppressed or or occupied you are with the situation, it may take you five minutes to get into a place where you can just really get into the Spirit and that intercession begin to come through you. Or it may take you uh, two hours or a day or a week, depending on how uh, occupied with something you are. But you can press into that realm where you know that you know that the Spirit of God on the inside of you is making intercession for you and overcoming your lack of knowing what to pray for as you ought. And when that happens, then put faith in it. Begin to start expecting that, God, I believe that this is what you said right here in Romans 8, 26 and 27. And you release your faith, expect the miracle power of God, and I tell you what, it will work. It'll move mountains when it seems like nothing else will. I believe that all of us, any person who's born again, has had this happen to them. Or, well, I'll just say that. I believe that any person who's born again has had this happen to them at some time or another, and yet they may not have known what it was. And you can turn it off. Again, I refer back to the Scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where it says that the spirits of the prophets are subject unto the prophets. That's in verse 32, 1 Corinthians 14, 32. And that means that even though the Spirit begins to start making this intercession through you, if you don't know what's happening, and if you uh, don't respond to it, if you don't allow it, if you don't encourage it, if you don't put any faith in it, you're going to get a very limited effect. Matter of fact, you could even miss what God is wanting to do through you. You do need to be aware of it. You need to submit to it, and you need to put faith in it. But you don't need to abuse it. You don't need to make anything weird out of it. This is not the kind of thing that you go around telling other people that I've done it. It's very similar to fasting. You don't do it to be seen of man. Your intercession, this groaning in the Spirit, shouldn't be done in front of people so that people could see that you're a great intercessor and that, oh, you're just travailing. This is something that pride should have no place in. This is something that you simply do before God. And God will reward you when we stand before Him. You don't have to go get your credit before man. The only reason I've shared these examples with you that I have is because I think that it'll help other people to understand what this is, to recognize it, and to uh, put faith in it and receive the benefit of it. But there's many other times that this has operated through me that I've never told anybody about. It's not something you do to get a claim. It's something you do to get results. And praise God, if you can take these simple little things that I've shared on this subject today and meditate on it, I believe that every one of you will be able to recognize it. Yes, there's times in my life where I've just discerned it was not only my own grief, but I mean, I even felt that God inside of me was just grieved with the way that things were going, grieved with the situation. 
especially in the area of other people. You see Satan ripping them off, and you want to become an intercessor, and, and the spirit within you is just grieved over this. Well, you ought to learn to, to give vent to that. When you recognize something like that happening, man, you ought to recognize that God doesn't get grieved just because he's bummed out and he has a bad day. I mean, if, God, if you can discern the Holy Ghost within you grieving over a situation, you can recognize that it's him beginning to make intercession. Things are fixing to change. God doesn't do this just to vent his emotions. He's doing it so that he can release the power of God and change that situation. If you'll recognize that and come to understand it, then as you begin to experience this, boy, you can start preparing yourself. You can release faith and get ready to see a miracle. And I tell you, miracles will happen. This is a very important thing, and there's probably much, much more that could be said about it. Um, But I just offer this to you as uh, something that I've learned. It's been an encouragement to me, and I've seen many other people set free by it. There's much more to learn about it, and I just ask you to go and pray about it and let God continue to teach and give you wisdom on this subject. I believe it will be a help to you. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.